Before we know it, it's going to be time to put that little plate of cookies on the mantel or by the hearth or on the dining room table, wherever Santa is going to sit and eat his cookies. Yes, Christmas cookie time. Not Christmas baking time, but Christmas cookie time. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about getting organized and some of the different kinds of, there's lots, but some of the different kinds of cookies we can make for Christmas, get the kids involved, have some fun, make some icing, make some sprinkles. Yes, make some sprinkles and have a blast baking cookies, getting Santa buttered up to give us the good stuff and have a Merry Christmas. Let's get going. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 64. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Now that Thanksgiving thankfulness is over, it's time to focus on Christmas and the kids. Make this Christmas extra special with a personalized letter from Santa addressed to your son or daughter and delivered in the mail in a special envelope from the North Pole. Just click my link, culinarylibertarian.com slash letter, to see how you can personalize a letter for each child. The letters are on old-timey looking parchment and bring the mystique of Santa to your mailbox. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash letter to learn more. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash letter. It's a solo episode today talking about Christmas baking and particularly, well, exclusively Christmas cookies. Cause, well, <laughs> I don't know about your house, but in my house, it just isn't Christmas without cookies. Uh, of course it is, but really, come on. Christmas cookies is the thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, just some of the basics and some of the ways to succeed with getting our massive or minuscule amount of Christmas cookies baked and managed and some of the ways that we can get the kids involved and have fun, make cookies, and have a good time and start Christmas off well. Christmas is, of course, presents, but also baked goodies. I suppose it's a lot more than just those two, but today I'm going to focus on what gets kids of all ages and sizes excited about Christmas. Cookies. If you'll allow me to borrow from popular culture, well, my popular culture of some years ago, cookies carry a very strong tradition. Tradition. That's Tevye from the Fiddle on the Roof for you youngsters out there. We all have our favorites, and even at that, the same cookie at our best friend's house may not be exactly how mom or grandma or even dad made them. Of course, we know that doesn't make them bad, 
but there is something extra particular at Christmas with the deep familiarity of the expected cookie. My sister and brother and I would look forward to our mom's pecan rum balls. Those over all of the others we made were most preferred. I'll put the link on today's show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 64. She made it seem that they were exceedingly difficult to make. Well, that's not so, but they can run a bit high in price compared to other cookies for the amount of pecan meal. So I get why she hid them. I make them each year. We also make spritz cookies, which are very easy for the kids, and they like changing the dye and the cookie gun for different shapes, then decorating them with various sugar sprinkles. Sugar cookies for shapes and icing are a must, and then we get to the varieties which can stay or go. We experimented last year with a chocolate chip shortbread with some large sea salt flakes on top. Oh, oh man, those, those were amazing. They are coming back this year. Icing is a fun, very messy, but fun part of decorating cookies. We're going to make royal icing again, but this year I'm going to try something that has so far only been academic. We're going to make our own sprinkles from the royal icing. As I've read about it, it's pretty easy to do. Use a slightly thick tip and pipe a line, or for the really committed dashes like in Morse code, uh, parchment paper, let them dry, and ta-da, sprinkles. Now, the lines need to be broken once they're dry, and the randomness of the pieces may not appear as clean as the dashes, but that we can make our own sprinkles is pretty cool. As for spreadable icing, I've found buttercream too fancy. I think a cream cheese icing is more what I prefer because I like the heft that it brings. Now, cream cheese and butter at room temperature does sound a bit odd. Some recipes for frostings for sugar cookies call for shortenings, but I just can't bring myself to feed that to people. Cream cheese icing is a bit of an expense, and it doesn't always play nice with colorings, which is kind of an important thing to, to point out. Um, buttercream icing, while not my preference, does take colors very well. Cream cheese icing, at least the colors I've used, they, they don't work. It just you have to, it just doesn't doesn't get out what you put in, so that's not worth it to me, uh, and that just doesn't look nice. Uh, and icing, which is but an icing which is powdered sugar and butter with a touch of milk will also have the heft I like from the cream cheese icing, and that does play well with the colors. Now, let's keep sanitation in mind for a minute and talk about this icing of. You know, cream cheese and butter. There's a couple ways around this. Uh, I have worked in a place where we left the cream cheese icing sitting out on the, we made gallons and gallons and gallons at a time. Uh, the icing sat out in a covered container and we went through it pretty rapidly, but we had no issues from the icing going bad. I don't think that this is for Christmas cookies. I don't think this is a problem, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up. So 
Uh, one of the ways to manage this problem is to ice a few cookies at a time and, and keep the icing in the refrigerator and bring it out an hour or so before you're ready to ice some more cookies. Uh, don't microwave cream cheese ice. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Uh, it, 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 the fat will come out and, and it can't go back and now you've just made trash. Royal icing can be colored and if using fresh egg whites makes you a little bit squeamish, even though it's going to have all the sugar and dry out, you can buy a meringue powder. Uh, Wilton, the cake company, uh, the cake tool company, makes a meringue powder designed specifically for making royal icing. And that is going to be something that's safe at room temperatures and you can leave it in your bag and you're ready to go. Now, let's talk a little bit about mixing cookies and we're gonna bring this back in a few more minutes. The main kind of cookies, chocolate chip, or oatmeal raisin, or peanut butter, are a pretty basic kind of cookie. Cream the butter, add the sugar, cream some more, add the egg, flour, garnish, and that's it. Where things can get funny is when you over or under cream the butter. As the cookie is concerned, Nothing has changed to make it inedible, but aesthetics and texture after the bake can change. The previously mentioned pecan rum balls and the chocolate chip shortbreads are a slightly different matter. Shortbread is a curious term and doesn't refer to the appearance, although they tend to be squatty or short, but instead refers to the protein strands in the cookie dough. The protein strands, and yes, even in all-purpose flour, there is gluten and protein. Those strands are generally long, at least at the microscopic level. Think of a boot shoelace stretched to its full length. That's long. When you mix doughs, the protein strands find each other and grow longer. That's how a great French bread has that pull and that fight. The protein strands are very long, like many of those bootlaces, end to end. When enough butter is added to the dough, the fat interferes with the proteins finding each other and making and preventing them from making those long chains. The proteins are left short. And that short protein strand is seen in how the shortbread cookie crumbles. The best Scotch shortbread I ever had was from the hands of a Scott Baker. Uh, this was in northern Michigan. Why she was there, I don't know. Uh, every Christmas she made some, and if you even so much as thought, a loud thought, they would crack. They were like clouds. Oh, they were amazing. Mixing shortbread cookies is a similar process to the standard cookie, but different enough to merit mentioning a few details. Cream the butter and the sugar together until it is pale. Even here, there's some discord. Liz's pecan balls and chocolate chip shortbread procedures are different. The chocolate chip dough wants the butter and the sugar beat well to incorporate some air and really blend the sugar into the butter. Liz's are just mixed enough to be creamed and soft. 
The addition of flour is different for shortbread cookies. Instead of all at once, like for regular oatmeal raisin or chocolate chip cookies, add it in batches of three or four additions and mix the first addition in before you add the next. We're looking here for, um, a, it's going to take some practice with the eyeballs to see, but a, we want a, we want to see the textural change happen. We want, we want to see almost crumbly beginning in the bowl where chocolate chip cookies would not do that. Shortbread cookies typically have no added leavening, such as a baking soda or baking powder. The chocolate chip shortbreads rise a bit and fall. Lizards grow a bit in size, but in both cases, that's from any air added in the mixing and from the steam made from the water that's in the butter and the milk. Shortbread cookie dough is pretty forgiving, but only after it has been refrigerated at least two hours. Refrigerating dough for nearly all cookies is a good idea. The flour absorption of the water and the homogenization of the dough into a mass with flour and the butter helps the final product be amazing. One cookie which does not get chilled is the spritz cookie. This must be butter for both flavor and for the release from the pan and must be room temperature. A cold, stiff dough simply cannot be squeezed out of a cookie gun press. Spritz cookies are also placed or squeezed onto an unbuttered sheet pan. That seems odd at first, but the reason is they need to grip the pan so that the cookie shape will form. And when you lift the gun up to make the next one, the cookie dough shape stays on the pan. A buttered sheet pan or parchment paper lined pan or a silicone, uh, silicone baking mat will not allow all that stuff to happen. Folks, if you're like me, morning doesn't start until at least the second mug of coffee. That coffee does matter, but so too does the mug it's in. I get to pick my mood in advance of having it. If I want cheeky or sassy, I've got a mug waiting for me for just that thing. You can set your mood too with a mug from my Cranky Without Coffee mug store. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash gearbubble to see the mug store. Choose from sassy to silly, sweet or sour, political humor, or inspirational quotes. Mug designs are added often. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash gearbubble to order your mug today. Use coupon code PODCAST and save 20% on your order. Offer is valid through December 31st, 2019. That's coupon code PODCAST to save 20%. Now let's get back into the show. One more kind of cookie, which is hardly a cookie in the traditional sense, but delicious nonetheless is the Florentine. If you were a fan of Mary Berry from the Great British Bake Off, you know how she so enjoyed a properly crisp and thin Florentine with chocolate drizzle. Well, they are pretty amazing. They are more a caramel with almonds and coconut, which bakes crisp than they are a cookie. 
due to what they are and what's in them. They are quite flat and crisp when cool. In humid places, they'll go soft quickly, but where it is cold, like Oregon, the low humidity will give them a few days. They are a real treat and not at all difficult to produce. The last different cookie I'll mention, and there's a lot of them, only because it seems popular this time of year, is rugula. Rugula is at least in the cookie category, if only by association. They are more a pastry than a cookie, but however they are designated, they are delicious. I prefer the crescent roll shape, but of course substantially smaller. There is also a version where instead of making a long thin triangle to roll your cookie, arugula, you can make them uh, just sort of a square. It doesn't matter the shape, it's just personal preference. But a, oh, in the, hello, a nice, nice arugula, that's a good thing to have. Now, I want to talk about the kids. My kids love being in the kitchen, and sometimes that's in spite of me. I can be a bit of a strict taskmaster, but I also recognize they need to build skills. So, with something like cookies and muffins and, for the wee one, pancakes, I let her, or them, go it alone until she needs help. There really isn't anything that can be so terribly done that will ruin the cookie. Mismeasure, forget an ingredient, and that maybe changes, maybe it's slightly ruined, but that's also part of learning and building confidence in the kitchen. The wee one, well, we I say that, she's seven and a half. She cannot make pancakes from scratch by herself. <laughs> she's done it twice, and she does a good job, and, and she's she'll do it a third time because that's just her. I'm going to include a link to a page for kids' kitchen stuff. Now, I don't know if your kids like to cook, but as a Christmas gift, I'm going to get her something. I don't know what yet, but there'll be something there just, you know, just for ideas. Let's move to organization. How to succeed with cookies. Just like in the cakes episode, mise en place is key. For the creamed cookie doughs, we want room temperature butter. Now, room temperature means that's fairly useless. That, what does that mean? If it's wintertime, the room is 60 degrees. If it's the middle of summer, if you're in Florida, it's 80 degrees. So really, we're looking for something probably around 70 degrees, which the, the butter's going to have a nice plasticity to it, but not so cold it can't mix and not so melty that it's just oozing. So room temperature, 70-ish degrees. I speak about sanitation, which is important, and butter is one of those foods we've been told to keep cold. That's not bad advice, but it doesn't help the baker. I do leave my sticks of butter in the cupboard all the time. I also go through butter at a pretty good rate, so I'm not worried about any issues with the butter going bad. Eggs, for cookies and baking in general, are better at room temperature since they are the same temperature as the rest of the ingredients. Obviously, milk being left out, that's probably not a good idea for the small amount of milk we're going to use in the recipes which take milk for cookies. That little bit is so inconsequential that the battle of heat exchange is in our favor. Except for the spritz cookies and the Florentines, cookie doughs will benefit from a couple hours in the cooler. The texture and structure of the finished cookie is superior and therefore 
is worth the wait. Cookies, except for Florentines, do need a few minutes on the pan out of the oven. So if you've, you know, when the chocolate chip cookie comes out, don't immediately spatula it off onto the whatever you got, the parchment paper or the counter or the opened uh, grocery sack. They need time. Just like in, in the bread, baking isn't done just because it's out of the oven. Florentines, they are an exception here because they don't really have any flour and they will get crisp quickly. Uh, one of the fun things that can be done with the Florentine is drape the warm cookie over a rolling pin so that it falls and then crisps into this nice curve. It's a fun shape. You can put a little bit of ice cream in there, um, fruit, nothing, whatever. It's just kind of a, it's a fun thing to do just to make a different presentation. So just as a reminder, the regular cookies, chocolate chip, even the shortbreads, carry over a little bit, kind of like that turkey from 10 days ago. The baking isn't done yet. Give it about five minutes on the pan. Then you can lift them off and put them onto the un, to the uh, open Trader Joe's paper bag. Yeah, and I like putting them on uh, a paper sack like that because it helps absorb a little bit of the fat from the bottom. And there's nothing wrong with it. It just, just makes it a little bit nicer. Space. Not up there on your counter. Cookies take up much more counter space and table space than most people remember or expect. So there's an issue also with storing them. So a trip to your local craft store for cookie tins might be a good trip. From cookie to cookie, the amount of creaming can vary. In addition to the space requirements, we have to think about, we've got this hot pan and we need a cooling rack. And if you're doing two pans at a time or three pans at a time, depending on how many racks in your oven, all those pans need a place to go that no one's going to get burned and still have to have room for the bowl of ingredients and the sprinkles and the stuff. So as you're doing your organization, thinking through as you be, before you even begin mixing your dough, anticipate these things because while sanitation is important, so is so is burning safety. We, we don't want we don't want burn fingers. From cookie type to cookie type, the amount of creaming can vary. Add to this variable the confusing words or instructions given, and it's easy to see why some people beg off of baking. Times given for mixing are misleading, for it assumes you are mixing with the same device at the same rate of speed with the same ingredients at the same temperature as the author. Two minutes is a constant, but the rest of that stuff is up in the air. So how then can we find some way to get this right? Creaming the butter and sugar means mixing it with the paddle attachment of the stand mixer or with the beaters on the handheld mixer. Start with the butter alone, room temperature, and mix 70 degrees and mix that on medium speed to smooth it out to get it to coat the sides of the bowl and no lumps or chunks should remain. Then add the sugar, but not all at once. Additions of three is good. The creaming process is incorporating air, but not too much. And the sharp corners of the sugar are like miniature Legos poking holes into the air bubbles. Knowing when creaming is done is determined by the increase in volume. And I look for about a third of an increase. Some of the sugar granules will remain, 
If you have creamed this butter and sugar to the point that the sugar granules are gone, that's an over-creamed butter-sugar mix for cookies. Nothing bad's going to happen. They're probably going to spread a lot. They're not going to have the height that you would like, but go ahead and finish baking them. And this is so you've begun your cookie book. Um, so look for that third or so increase, a little bit of sugar still remaining in the, in the, in the butter. Uh, at this point, add the eggs or egg one at a time on low speed so you don't wear it and let it mix completely before you add the next one if there is a next one. For our chocolate chip or oatmeal or peanut butter cookies, add the flour and the salt and the baking powder and or soda all at one time. Um, and mixing on low is fine. Now, I don't normally sift flour and dry ingredients for cookies. There's no reason not to. If I'm making cake, I absolutely sift them and then I'll sift them at least three times. And that extra air, uh, one, and make sure that everything is, there's no chunks because chunks of flour and cake is yuck. Uh, chunks of flour and cookies is yuck too, but the density of the dough is so high that my confidence is, is pretty good that the chunks of flour will be worked out. There's nothing wrong with sifting your flour ahead of time if that's what you want to do. But for those cookies, we're going to just add it all at one time. Uh, and then if you're making the chocolate chips, add those when the flour is incorporated about halfway. So since this is a flour product and we have mechanical action, the mixer, we're putting energy in the form of movement into these cookie doughs, there is an opportunity to develop the gluten. Now, all-purpose, of course, has less than bread, but it's there. So we're going to mix just until the flour is incorporated. Now, if there's a little teeny wee bit at the bottom of the bowl, you can stop mixing with the machine, use a rubber spatula or a wooden spoon or maybe a metal spoon or something, or even with your hands, just finish mixing that flour into the cookie batter, cookie dough, and then, of course, put it into a container and refrigerate it or roll it up like a big fat cigar in a piece of parchment paper. Uh, you can refrigerate that. Uh, if you roll them into those like little cookie logs uh, in parchment paper, you can also freeze them in plastic, of course, to keep the, to the flavors away, uh, and then pull them out uh, in let them thaw, let them thaw in the refrigerator overnight. And then you can just cut like little um, cookie pucks. And depending on how big you want your cookie, you cut a bigger puck and then bake them uh, once the, the, the dough is thawed. Now, no matter if it's in the cookie cigar or if you're just using a disher or scoop to make your cookies, of course, they're going to spread. How much? Well, even from cookie to cookie in the same batch, there's going to be some variation, probably not much batch to batch of the same thing, but the first batch is, well, let's see what happens. So allow for spreading and sort of depend on that. So don't put the cookies too close to each other. Uh, making a giant sheet cookie, there's nothing wrong with that. But the, unless if, if that's not your plan, it's going to be a frustration.
I prefer to bake no more than eight cookies per pan on the regular, you know, sort of think about the sort of two inch size or so of a uh, chocolate chip cookie. Uh, and part of the reason is the heat distribution. Now, this is kind of, this is a strange thing to think about, but the heat molecules in the oven are finite. There's X amount of them. The more cookies that are in the oven is more things demanding a finite resource of heat molecules, and they're not all going to bake at the same time. Now, due to the nature of the oven and the radiation of heat, not nuclear, but the radiation of heat from the edges of the oven, the outside cookies are going to bake more quickly than the cookies in the middle of the pan. And we saw this when we baked 36 little teeny cookies at the bakery in the grocery store. You know, we put 18 sheet pans in the oven, but the middle cookies would be done after the outside cookies were done. So you get this disparity, not a big one, but a small disparity in doneness on every sheet pan. So fewer cookies, spread the heat out more evenly, and everyone's gonna get done closer to the same time. Uh, a test to use to determine doneness is a touch test. Gently press the top of the cookie down, making sure to touch the cookie and not the chocolate chip, uh, and watch it closely. Now, of course, use a hot pad to hold the pan, but use your bare finger and just gently press the cookie part and watch it. And if it springs back up right away, your cookie is ready to come out of the oven. If you still see a little small indentation, it needs a little bit more time. Now, just to reiterate, cookies do continue to bake, so leave them on the sheet pan on the cooling rack for five minutes. All of this sounds so precise and specific and overwhelming, and it really isn't, and it ought not be. We're making cookies. We're not performing open heart surgery. If mistakes are made, nobody dies. Keep going, and if nothing else, you've made a story for the next holiday and, and possibly years to come, and, and that's okay. Both my sister and I, hi Sarah, have at different times and different bakes forgotten the sugar and the flour. Uh, actually, truly, I do not recall who forgot what when mixing the cookies, but, but anybody can make a mistake. And 40 years later, I can tease her about it, but I don't because then she'll tease me back. So what seems to me to be the most important, especially with baking and the kids anytime, but especially now, is have a good time. Boo-boos are personalizations. So if you have any questions that you want answered, find me, join the Eating Liberty Facebook group on the uh, podcasts page. Uh, there's a link to an email. I will be happy to help you as much as I can and get you started or continuing your fun Christmas tradition. And this is what it is. It's just fun. Let the just bake, 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 bake. It's, you know, really, they're calorie free. They're not really, but they're calorie free. Think about that. Worry about that in January 2nd after the bowl games. Uh, just a reminder, I will have the recipe, like a little booklet, uh, on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 64. Uh, you can download and 
and, and start your own little Christmas quickie bake. All right, folks, that's going to do it. A note about the coffee mugs and shipping in time for Christmas. Gearbubble, the manufacturer, has emailed us vendors saying the date of December 13th, 2019, is the cutoff date to get or to order for delivery. Of course, they can only control production, not shipping, so of course, use your discretion. Also, a note about the Fiddler on the Roof reference. Yes, I know it's a play about Orthodox Jews. I was referencing the tradition part, not the culture. Cooks and bakers love getting food toys for Christmas. Also, new cookbooks. Check out the items I've picked at my Gifts for Cooks site, culinarylibertarian.com slash gifts. From a bread proofer to sharpening stones, cookbooks for dinner or dessert, find what your cook wants. Visit culinarylibertarian.com slash gifts to make sure you get the food you want from your cook in 2020. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.